Well, good evening. I'm Rick Dancer. Welcome to Get Real with Rick Dancer. And I just, I was talking to one of our guests in the green room and I'm sitting here realizing I didn't write out my schedule of who's where and what's going on. I'm an old guy. So I, I usually write up a little schedule and kind of do this. So guess what? I'm going to wing it. I'm going to just have to wing it. And if we miss something, we're going to be in trouble. So we got a great show for you tonight. Um, we're going to, what are we going to do? We got Bill London here. Um, you would not believe how many people are running for the new House District 5, I think it is, and the new Senate District 6. Um, uh, I think it's 40. <laughs> I mean, like 40 people. It's kind of like, um, I think now there's fewer people not running for office. And how do you think about the governor? <laughs> there is, I think if anybody's in the Republican Party, they're running for governor. Oh, man. Hi, Rick. Oregon misses you. Well, thanks, Justin. I appreciate that. So we have a great show tonight. I'm going to tell you what's coming up. We got a guy who I found through a friend, through a friend, through a friend. A former North Eugene graduate married to a Ukrainian woman. Uh, they live in Florida now, but as soon as this all started to happen in, in Ukraine, the um, he got on a plane and rushed over there and the family, her family escaped um, Ukraine and they're now in Romania and they're stuck. So I've got a report from him outside the Romanian consulate and and then or the U.S. consulate, I think it is. And then I did an interview earlier today with him because like right now it's like nighttime like dead night time, one o'clock in the morning or something. <clears throat> so we'll hear from him. And you know something really cool that I learned today? Stop saying the Ukraine. It's not the Ukraine. It's Ukraine. When you say, when we say, he's going to explain this. When we say the Ukraine, it's so very offensive to the people of Ukraine because that to them is saying they're still part of Russia. So instead, we're supposed to just say Ukraine. I love learning stuff like that because it's super important about language and what people say. Um, and I find that fascinating. Welcome to Montana. I wish you luck in finding your new home. Western Montana is very similar to Eugene. You should check it out. Shannon, thank you. And that's why we're not going there. <laughs> I know. I know. <laughs> that just kind of came out. Um, no, we know that about Western and it's beautiful, Kalispell, places like that. Um, not like Eugene and their politics, but like Eugene and their weather. And I am so damn tired of fog and rain and clouds. And I know it's not as cloudy and rainy, but we that's why we're in the east or not the far east. We're in the southeast, the southwest or something. We're Bozeman in that area because we want sunshine. In Livingston, you get 201 days of sunshine a year. And that was our goal. <laughs> So anyway, well, you got to see the real Rick Dancer there, didn't you? <laughs> I from Monroe, Oregon. Rain has started again. Good for you. That's awesome. It just looks like Eugene. I know. And, and we do miss the green, but, you know, hey. So we've got that. We also have, there's a group called the Sparrow Club. And you're going to love this because, in fact, I think it was Bill London who told me, Rick, have you had Corey on? And I said, well, not recently. Um, they're in uh, one of the schools in our area. I can't, I can't wait to explain this to you because they pick a person, a child who's medically fragile or has some kind of a medical issue that's fairly serious. And then the school kind of adopts them and they do service things work for them. And so they're always looking for people to 
partnering with them, businesses, and we have a few that are partnering with them. So Corey's going to be on in a little bit uh, to talk about that program as well. And then, of course, we got Bill London coming up with your news. So uh, let's get going and we'll uh, get right to Bill because you can't, you know, we can't miss him. And oh, our sponsors tonight, Chris Dental Family Dentistry, where everyone is welcome. And in fact, um, they're hiring right now. This is Dr. Michael Bradlin from Chris Dental. Thanks to patients like you, my dental practice is thriving. As a result, we are in need of a couple more team members. If you or someone you know is either a dental assistant or has front desk experience, please come by my office and we can talk. Canada's must be hardworking and have excellent customer service. Patient care is absolutely our number one priority. And best of all, your vaccination status is your business, not ours. And you know the thing about Dr. Bratlin, he has come out and put up billboards about backing the blue. He's come out against the mandates. He's come out as pro-choice of people, their, their medical choices. He's come out uh, pro-freedom and he's busier than ever. Now, yeah, he's lost a few people and he's made some people mad. But what that shows me is when you tell the truth and you stick up for the truth that you believe in and the things that you believe in, you will be blessed. Yes, you will be beaten up. Yes, people will yell at you. Yes, people will try to cancel you. But you know what? In the end, if you're doing the right thing and you're doing what you believe in, it really works. And he is proof of that. So Bill London, why don't you come on in and tell us what's going on in that crazy state of Oregon? Good evening from the News Radio, 1120 AM and 93.7 FM studios. I'm Bill London. You can hear the wake up call that I co-host with Rob Holloway, our little uh, news and uh, interview show every Monday through Friday, 6 a.m. to 9 here on these fine radio stations. Um, our first story today, I'm going to do this one off the cuff. Jerry Frank died at the age of 98. And if you're not familiar with who Jerry Frank is or was, um, I'd like to tell you a little bit about him because while I didn't know him well, I did know him. Interviewed him a number of times, had a chance to meet him a few times. And Jerry Frank, for those of you that have been in Oregon for a number of years, maybe remember the Myron Frank stores. Well, he was the Frank side of it. And while he didn't found the stores, uh, he was definitely one of the heirs to the stores. And along with that, he was a best-selling author. He wrote, as a matter of fact, the best-selling book of all time as a tourist book for the city of New York. It was a guidebook to New York City, where to find it, where to eat it, and where to stay, I believe. Um, best-selling book, a tourist book on New York City of all times. He was the chief of staff for former Senator Mark Hatfield. Before that, he was the chief of staff of Governor Mark Hatfield for the state of Oregon. And he was also an advisor and counselor to a number of other Oregon political leaders for decades. Along with that, the man was an amazing raconteur. He had some of the greatest stories. He was also one of the most charming, genial individuals that you would ever want to meet. And beyond that, he was a chocolate addict. For almost 60 straight years, he would judge the big chocolate cake showdown that they did at the Oregon State Fair every year as a judge. 
And later on in his life, he opened a uh, kind of a European style pastry and cake shop called the Conditorei in Salem, where I used to take my mom before she passed away. Had a chance to meet him in there. And it was so nice. He came over, sat down at the table, and we had this wonderful conversation. He was truly just a really nice and gem of a human being. And it's unfortunate that we lost him, but he lived to a ripe old age and did a lot of positive things for the state of Oregon. So, saluting you, Jerry. He was really an amazing guy. Well, if you think the Oregon primaries are going to be interesting in the gubernatorial race, really the congressional primaries in Oregon are going to be a money bonfire. A total of 45 candidates have filed a run to represent Oregon in the House. The surge in candidates is due in part because of the added and new 6th District. The new 6th District stretches from eastern Washington County. It includes parts of Beaverton and to the south and west, including McMinnville and Salem. And 16 people have filed a run for that seat, nine Democrats, seven Republicans. The list of hopefuls and includes three current state lawmakers, a former one-term congressman, several current and former local office holders. Some have unsuccessfully run for Congress in other districts. According to DHM, which is pretty much the leading political research firm in the state, they released info showing that while the Democrats may have more party res uh, registrations in the district, they also have far more Democrats running for the seat with the primary winner, at least according to their polling, probably only winning with maybe at a high of 30% of the vote and then ending up fairly beat up and money poor rolling into the general election. John Horvick, the senior vice president of DHM Research, believes that Republicans actually have an opportunity to pick up that seat. Meanwhile, the Democratic-led redrawing of existing districts to accommodate the 6th significantly changed the boundaries of Oregon's 5th district, which it happens to be incumbent Kurt Schrader's district. He's a can-be Democrat. He's held that seat since 2008. The district that Schrader won handily in 2020 includes a portion of the Willamette Valley and stretches west to the central Oregon coast. However, in the newly drawn district, it's completely different and it takes effect with this election and shifts the boundaries eastward. Doesn't include Salem anymore, for instance, but crosses over to include Bend. For Schrader to win an eighth term, he's first going to need to get past a challenger in the Democratic primary, Jamie McLeod Skinner, who has picked up early endorsements, including the Oregon Education Association. So you know they're going to be dumping a ton of money into that primary. She's also garnered support from high-profile Democrats, including former Oregon Governor Barbara Roberts and U.S. Senator Elizabeth Warren of Massachusetts. McLeod Skinner is running to the political left of Schrader, who's taken heat from his party over his votes on bills having to do with pharmaceuticals and coronavirus stimulus funds, among others. The 5th District Republican primary at this point is in a five-way race. Well, this is kind of an interesting little report that just came out. Oregon's exports 
soared an astonishing 19% last year, approaching $30 billion for the first time as the state began to emerge from the pandemic recession. It's the biggest one-year jump ever. The value of the state's exports climbed by nearly $4.7 billion. Many businesses actually thrived coming out of the pandemic, but one single industry accounted for the most of the growth, and that is semiconductors. The value of computer chips made in Oregon and sold overseas climbed by $2.8 billion, accounting for more than 60% of last year's overall export growth. Now, Oregon is home to a number of large chip makers, among them analog devices, microchip technology, Corvo, on semi, and of course the big daddy Intel. What's interesting is Intel was actually lagging due to production capacity. All the other manufacturers saw their sales go through the roof in 2021. Oregon also racked up a $680 million increase in the exports of industrial machinery last year, which consisted mostly of semiconductor manufacturing tools. Bill Shonley, Mr. Rip City, the original voice of the Portland Trailblazers, is announcing his retirement after more than 50 years with the Blazer. The 92-year-old play-by-play announcer and team ambassador is the guy who coined the term Rip City, along with other popular catchphrases for the organization. Shanley is going to be honored at the Blazers' last home game of the season coming up on Sunday, April 10th, as they take on the Utah Jazz. All right, we've had a look at the news. Now it's time to get real. Get really real. Get real, Rick. Real Rollis, Rick. Do it. God, stop pointing at me, Bill. Come on, <laughs> good guy. So, uh, yeah, his story on Jerry Frank. Um, I have a great Jerry Frank story. Um, we had to go to uh, Jerry was like uh, Senator Mark Hatfield's right hand man, and um, so a few years ago, a couple of producers out of Portland and myself, we did a documentary on Senator Mark Hatfield. And in order to do that, we had to get the blessing of Jerry Frank. So I'd never met him before. We went to Salem to his office, walked in. He kind of shuffled. Jerry was kind of like a Stub Stewart shuffler. And he comes shuffling up and talking to us. And um, he goes, uh, Mr. Dancer, I think you may be in the, in the card catalog. And I said, mm, what's the card catalog? So I go follow him over. He had, like the, like the library has, three by five cards, of every person he'd ever met or was interested in or wanted to know something about. And he goes over to the D's, pulls it open, thumbs through, pulls up my card and starts reading things that he knew about me. And I was like, wow. <laughs> and we got out of the building and uh, Kevin Curry and Devin Lyon, the guys that were producing this with me, they looked at me and they go, damn. You made the Jerry Frank card catalog. <laughs> and I was excited about that. But um, he was, we couldn't have done it without his help. He was a really genuinely great person uh, and helped Mark Hatfield uh, a lot. We could use another Mark Hatfield in our state right now. Okay, so we're going to do something a little bit international here. Now, we have a guy, Seth Robbins, and he's from originally from Eugene. And he is in the Ukraine. Actually, he's in Romania. His relatives, his wife's family are from the, from Ukraine and they escaped um, and they escaped to Romania, but they're stuck. 
and he's going to explain why they can't get out. And it's so frustrating when you see what's happening in this country on the southern border with people. And here we have people in a war-torn country and they can't even get out. So here's, there's two reports, one from him outside the American consulate, I think he is, or I think that's where he is. And then, then I did an interview with him earlier today. So here is Seth Robbins. Hi everybody, it's Seth Robbins. Um, I'm standing out across the street from the U.S. Embassy. Uh, this is where I came yesterday morning to try to create a dialogue with the U.S. Embassy uh, in regards to bringing my family and other Ukrainian refugees who have family in the United States home to America, where they have an opportunity to heal, to grieve, to potentially move forward from the trauma that's been created by Vladimir Putin in this absolutely unjust and atrocious war that he's visited on their home country of Ukraine. Um, I'm an American in Bucharest. I'm a private citizen. I'm also a veteran of the United States Army. I flew over here to come get family on my own accord, on my own dime. I'm not asking anyone in this video. I'm not looking for money. I don't want any financial support. What I want is for people back home in the United States to let your voices be heard. Reach out to your congressmen. Reach out to your senators. Let them know that they are stranding these Ukrainian citizens in foreign countries where they do not have language skills. They have no authorization or ability to, to go find employment and make money. So this is leaving them at the mercy of strangers, which here in Romania, I will give them the utmost credit. They have welcomed them with open arms. There are people with limited economic means who are giving them food, shelter, host families bringing in people they don't even know and don't even speak the language with, but they're giving them refuge from this. What the, what the U.S. Embassy has done is they've utilized a bureaucratic method to block refugees from joining their families in the United States. What they're doing is they are taking and they are utilizing people who have existing visas. So Ukrainian nationals with existing visas, they are absolutely, they get a free pass. They can come to the United States immediately. But those who have visas in processing, these are refugees running from war with limited economic means. And the US dollar is significantly stronger than the money that the little money they have in their pocket. And they are taking it and they are telling them, if you want to process the, the visa that you already had in Kiev in process, you've got to pay the fee again. Well, great, that's $168 for one individual, but what about a family of 10 that's trying to join their family in the United States? Putting that into context, you've got to come up with $1,700 of US dollars in a foreign country, and you're creating a financial burden for people who don't even have jobs or prospects of, in, of making more money in the country they find themselves in. All we're asking and all I'm asking you is to like this, share this, get this out to as many people that can put eyeballs on this. We need to get vocal. We need to call our congressmen. We need to call our senators. And we need to tell them that they need to create an avenue and a mechanism, a humanitarian transit corridor that allows for Ukrainian citizens to come to this building and step inside. Because once they're inside, they're standing on sovereign US soil to declare asylum and to get visas to legally come to their families in the United States. 
Many of these people aren't even asking to come here permanently to the United States. They wanna come here till the war is over, be safe with family, not stranded in a foreign country, and with people they know and love who can also help care for them and put them in a position where again, they can begin to heal, they can grieve their losses, and they can begin to move forward with their lives. Again, Seth Robbins from Bucharest, Romania, in front of the U.S. Embassy. Thank you. And joining me now is Seth Robbins. And Seth is a native Eugenian. Uh, you went to North Eugene High School, didn't you? Yeah, I graduated in 95 from North Eugene. So now he lives in Florida, and his wife is a Ukrainian. Is that the right yes. way to say that? Okay, so she's yeah, a Ukrainian. And he is right now coming to us live from Romania, Bucharest. And right. I've actually been there. And you got, so tell us what your family, your wife's family got out of the Ukraine. So they escaped, they fled the Ukraine, but they're stuck in Bucharest. Yeah. So I can give you just a real quick synopsis. So when this first started, the first 24, 48 hours of the Ukrainian war, we started getting flooded with emails, phone calls, middle of the night, working on about two hours of sleep for about a week long every day as we were listening to for myself as a military veteran i was hearing for the first time in like 20 years live shelling and and automatic gunfire in the background while i'm talking to family who legitimately like months before i was on skype calls you know celebrating a birthday right and so and it was very so disconcerting it while you're talking to your wife's family in the in ukraine yeah um, they yeah. are you're hearing bombshell what is that like for your wife so brutal honest truth is i love my wife with all my heart we've been married for 16 years we've got a beautiful 25 year old daughter and it i think like most men who love their wife it made me very very angry because my wife was in tears and sobbing and just heartbroken for her family because we're there's a feeling of impotence because you're ten thousand miles away from her family and you can do nothing so you yeah. get in a you go to get in a plane <laughs> and your wife tries to remind you that you're not jack ryan <laughs> yeah yeah un un unfortunately she she reminded me that I, I i i am a 45 year old husband father and and older guy middle-aged guy i am no longer a 25 year old soldier but you're acting like Jack Ryan out of a James Patterson book and you're fleeing off to Romania. So the family gets out there in Romania now, but you yeah. can't, the government won't let them leave Romania. Yeah, that's correct. So basically in a nutshell, I, I was very shocked because the next, the, the morning after I arrived in Romania, the first day I really just I jet lagged 18 and a half hours of flights. I just crashed. Um, that next morning at 8 a.m. local time, I was up and at the embassy door. I was there. There were five other Ukrainian families that were there trying to see the embassy and being turned away by the security. And I flashed my U.S. passport because, as most of us know, you know, you, if you're an American citizen in a foreign country, you show your passport, you go to your consulate, the embassy, and you get to go in. Right. And they talk to you. It may be four to six hours later, but they're going to talk to you. I got turned around at the door and told to go back to my hotel, which I'm not in a hotel, I Airbnb, but go back to where I'm staying and go online and make an appointment and they'll call me when I'm available to come in. So what's the holdup? What are they telling you the holdup is? Because your, your family is kind of desperate at this point. 
Yeah, we are pretty desperate because like I've, I've, I've posted some videos on my social media accounts, which if you go out there, look me up on Facebook, um, on Instagram, it's big ducks fan 77. Cause yes, I love my Oregon ducks. Um, and with that, I posted some videos on what's going on. I've posted videos from the border itself. Uh, tomorrow I go back to the border with Ukraine, but this time it's the Southern border in Romania with Ukraine. Um, but what's you, the whole and they, won't, they won't let you shoot video either because you shot one for us that I'm going to show after this interview uh, so people can kind of get an idea of where you're at and what you're doing. But there's it's, it's very controlled, isn't it? it? It is a very controlled area, but fortunately, um, I'm blessed to have very good friends over 16 years of marriage from Eastern Europe. And a lot of them have friends all over this area. And one of my friends who lives in L.A., who has known me as long as I've known my wife. I called, I reached out to him and he made a phone call and his brother has actually connected with me. So I have a wonderful gentleman who is Romanian and he speaks English perfectly. And one of the, as you experienced when you were in Bucharest, the driving is exceptionally interesting here. Think New York city, but just with a little more wild west to it. Like a little bit of a, a cluster mess. Yes, yes, I would concur. So so he's been actually been a great bridge because he understands culturally how to communicate with the authorities, which has allowed me some access that I so, likely would not have had. So Seth, explain, because I interrupted you, the, the, the holdup is in basic terms, what's the holdup at this point? The holdup is basically this, is that there is no mechanism bureaucratically. They have They have locked down the embassy and they are only servicing U.S. citizens and green card holders for whatever purpose it is. And I would love to know how many American citizens have fled Ukraine to Romania and are, and are seeking embassy service like, I need to replace my passport. Because they are not dealing with trapped Americans in, in Ukraine at this point in Romania. So they've blocked off the calendar for, for the next five months for any appointments other than emergency appointments, and which are defined as any worker who is critical to the infrastructure of the United States of America. So where do your relatives wanna go? They want to reunite with family in the United States. We've okay. had so I'm gonna bring up this, cause you cannot leave this hanging. Yeah, go it's for gotta it. be frustrating when we've got people coming over the southern border like crazy and in the United States and you're trying to get family out of a war zone yeah. um, to, to home. Tell, talk to me about that set because that has to be irritating, it's, frustrating. Uh, so I was very blessed here to actually connect with one of the uh, deputy directors of the UN Commission on Human Rights, which they deal with helping refugees register, get referred over to the State Department, things of that nature. But they're unable to do that because the refugees are not fleeing from a failed state. Oh. So because there is a functional government still in place in Ukraine and a functional government in a UN EU uh, sorry, not UN, but an EU NATO country like Romania, they have to immediately work with the Romanian government to assist these refugees. And so international law states that you must set foot in, quote, sovereign soil 
of the nation you are attempting to declare uh, asylum in. So it's very frustrating as far as the southern border is concerned because then it just falls into, so just by the sheer miracle of the fact that you were born on the continent that I, I we all live on and you can go for a little walk or a ride or whatever it is that you do. And I'm not disparaging the legal right. immigrants that are coming that way because there's a legal process to that also. You're supposed to go to an actual point port of entry so like, you know, when you see in the movies that they drive across the border into San Diego in the checkpoint with the border guards, the folks coming from the southern border to legally enter our country need to go there. Right. That so, way they can make a reasoned decision whether or not you actually should have asylum. So your family has to get on the U.S. embassy soil right. in order to get here and it's locked down and they're not letting anybody in there. Correct. Correct. There's, I mean, I, I, I've thought about pitching one of the kids over the fence just to see if, or the wall to see if maybe he can make it. He's then, kidding people. He's kidding. I'm, yeah. <laughs> so, so Seth, at this point, how long do you stay and how long do you wait this out? Because I think that's. I, 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 because of the pandemic and, and what I do for a living, I had banked a, a over 140 hours worth of leave because we didn't really go anywhere. Right. use any any leave so i took every stitch of leave that i had i bet i cashed it in and i am here until the th morning of the 30th on the morning of march the 30th i get on a flight regardless of what's happened here on the ground okay so i want to have there's one other thing i want to talk about before but i, I just want to say so i want you to keep in touch with me and then if absolutely you know, let us know in a week or so how things are going if you send me videos too i'll stick them up on the show and okay kind of, we'll do but let's let's do some like a little housekeeping here because you corrected me on something that I think Americans need to be corrected on. It's not okay. the Ukraine. It's Ukraine. Correct. Why? Why? Um, so within the the Ukrainian community, um, the Ukraine is in reference to like a territorial body under the Soviet control that oh. the Ukraine. So it's just saying, hey, this rough area. So like the Great Plains, the the territory of Puerto Rico, it's 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 it minimizes the fact that they they are their own independent sovereign country. So when you call it the Ukraine, you're giving them back to Russia to them. Yeah, much, you're saying much. part of Russia. When you say Ukraine, now you're saying our country. Who yeah, it's, it's the difference between when we say the United States of America, it's because it's one long phrase of who we are. But in reality, just as I've learned very, very abundantly clear over the last five, six days of being here in Bucharest is that nobody calls us the United States of America. They call us America. Right. One word. So for Ukraine or Romania or Bulgaria, you know, Hungary or whichever country that is, it's not the Czechoslovakia. Yeah. yeah, it's Czechoslovakia, right? Or I guess it's a Czech, the Czech Republic now. And Slovakia. <laughs> <laughs> now we're going to get ourselves into a geographical battle. Hey, Seth Robbins, thank you so much for joining us live from Romania. Um, and yeah, like I said, keep in touch because I'd like to hear more what, what's going on with your family. And I think it gives a different perspective. And you and I talked about finding a translator. If you do that, let me know. I'd love to talk to one of your family members with a translator. Will do. And Rick, if I can just add one quick minute here. You bet. You bet. What I'm asking any of your listeners to do is pick up the phone, call your congressman, call your senator on the federal level, because we need to create pressure to allow these blood related relatives to come here.
to come, well, not here, because I'm, again, in Romania, but to come home to their families so they can heal, they can grieve, and they can begin the process of moving forward from this war. All right. Seth Robbins, thank you so much for your help. Thanks for being here. It's nice to meet you, man. We'll, yeah, pleasure to meet you, brother. I think we'll see a lot more of you. Yeah, I hope so. Take care. Thanks, bud. That's great. Getting stuff like that. Where else are you going to find that? I mean, real people, really, real families, no bureaucracy, no bullshit. Um, it's all some guy trying to save his family. And for all of us out here who are feeling bad and thinking, what can I do to help the people of Ukraine? Um, one, uh, right there. There's something you can do. Contact your congressmen and women, contact your senators and tell them to get this shit in order. And if we're going to let millions of people illegally cross the borders of our southern country, we can sure as hell do something for refugees in a war-torn country. Damn it. Now get the shit out of that. That's what you need to do. Oh, so it's so hypocritical. It's, and the same people are going, oh, we need to help these people. And you're not helping these people. You're, you're putting roadblocks in the way. Stop it. Knock it off, you incestuous group of lawmakers. Okay, I've had my fill. Um, <laughs> I, I needed that today. So now we're going to switch gears to a happier place, to a, a kinder world, to a world where Rick Dancer does not exist. <laughs> Corey Burkett, how you doing, buddy? Oh, oh man. You oh. exist. You exist there, Rick. Oh, that is that kind of stuff just actually just grates on me. But you know yeah. what you're doing? Um, I, I, I think it was actually Bill who may have had you on or something. He goes, have you ever yeah. talked? Corey with the Sparrow Club? I said, yeah, I, I've had coffee with him a couple of times, and I think we've had you on the show before. Um, but um, talk to us. Uh, we already got a fan, Matt Kendall, Portland Sparrow Club. Yeah. So tell people, first of all, um, what is a Sparrow Club? Yeah. So let me let me share a story that will then kind of uh, explain what Sparrow Clubs is. Perfect. So there was a family, the Leland family. They were up in Washington State, and this was back in the 90s. Um, Jeff was the dad, uh, middle school teacher, mom stayed home with the kiddos and they had a little, uh, six month old named Michael and Michael was diagnosed with leukemia. He was in need of a bone marrow transplant and they were given a matter of just a couple of months, uh, it to have this bone marrow transplant to save his life. So they reach out to their insurance insurance denies the coverage because they weren't on their insurance program long enough. So they're in need of a miracle. And unbeknownst to Jeff, he had a middle school uh, 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 seventh grader in his adapt P class by the name of Damien. And Damien, unfortunately, um, didn't hold a very high social status in his school. Uh, he, uh, he Kids picked on him. He was bullied. But this kid had a heart of compassion within him. And he knew about what was happening in his teacher's son's life. And he wanted to do something about it. So Jeff was at school one day. He gets a phone call from Damien's mom. She says, hey, this is Damien's mom. We're down here at the bank and Damien is taking out his savings account money because he wants to help save your son, Michael. She hangs up the phone. About a half hour later, they show up at the school. Damien comes walking up to Mr. Leland. He says, Mr. Leland, you've always been kind to me. I consider you a friend. I know what's going on with your son and I wanted to help out. And then Damien reaches into his pocket and he pulls out a wad of 12 $5 bills. 60 bucks, his entire savings account. And with his head held high, he turns around and, and walks away. And then Jeff is, is standing there with just tears running down his cheeks, holding this wad of compassion in his hand. 
And he knew the social status. He knew the economic status that Damien came from. And he knew that this was literally everything that Damien had. And it just moved him. To him, it felt like a million dollars. So Jeff tells what transpired with uh, the principal. The principal the next day shares it with their staff. And by the end of that school day, the entire staff and student body heard about what Damien did. And they also heard about the need in baby Michael's life. And all of a sudden, compassion sparked through this entire student body. And all these students wanted to help save baby Michael. So they started doing anything and everything they could. They were knocking on doors, collecting cans. Local businesses got involved. They were starting to write checks. The principal would show up at his office. There'd be pounds of uh, piles of cash on his desk. The local news did a big story on it. And in four weeks, sparked and inspired by the compassion of one young man, this entire student body raised $227,000. The family goes in, pays cash, has this bone marrow transplant, saves Michael's life. He's 30 years old, lives in Redmond, married, happy, healthy. And a few years after the Leland family just said that was too powerful of a movement sparked by one young student. We can't let that be a one and done. Now, we can't recreate students raising $200,000 every four weeks, but what can be what what can be recreated? What is something that every student can do? Because again, not every student comes from an economic or social status where they can give money or even do fundraising. Right. But what can they do? They can serve. So Jeff, the dad, thought of this brilliant formula, if you will, of partnering with a, a local family that has a child in medical need. That child is newborn to 17 years of age with some kind of life-threatening, life-altering medical circumstance. That child becomes a sparrow. Then we work on building relationship with local schools, elementary schools, middle school, high school, public and private, even alternative schools to adopt a sparrow in a friendship kind of way. And then we uh, create relationships with local businesses and they become what we call our community club sponsors. They put up the seed money, if you will, that the students can be challenged then with. So once we have a sparrow, a school and a sponsor lined up, we go into that school and we share that sparrow story. And these stories, Rick, are inspiring. These sparrows are true champions of change. And that's exactly how we share their story. We do not share their story in a way where we want people to feel sorry for them or there's some kind of charity or cause, but as true champions of just what they have to overcome each day. So we share that sparrow story and that story becomes a catalyst for impacting and changing youth culture from the inside out through compassion, empathy, and kindness. And then after we've captured their attention, the challenge we give to the students to help their sparrow is to not do fundraising or give money, but to do community service. Because for every hour of service they do, it unlocks a portion of that seed money given by local businesses. And then that then goes to the family. So that's the origin story of kind of how Sparrow Club started. That's kind of the the big picture of how it works. Well, I'm guessing then the magic is that um, you're actually giving students um, and their and their parents, because if any kid's going to go home and mom and dad yeah. are coming, but you're giving them a chance to show their kindness yes. and to really to really be human beings, and 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 especially after the last two years where we haven't been able to be very human, um, all of a sudden they get that that back, and they're impacting a life, and they see how they're doing that. That's yeah, yeah. Well, you know, I I mean, you're right. I mean, we like to say that we believe that uh, compassionate students grow up to be compassionate adults and man wouldn't wouldn't our wouldn't our communities look different uh if if we carry more compassion and the other thing too rick that um i think that students need 
is that they need something that unifies them. Yeah. That brings them together. And when you introduce a sparrow family, so it's one sparrow for one school for one school year. But if you introduce that sparrow family to entire student body, they become the focal point uh, of an entire student body. They become the catalyst that all these students can rally around. So not only is it about challenging these students to do community service, but then these students really do like welcome these families in. Uh, to their to their school family. And the amount of love and emotional support that these families receive from these students is inspiring. So as inspiring as that origin story is, I could go on right. with the over 1,300 sparrows that have been adopted over 25 years. And it's all in the United States. So primarily in the state of Oregon, uh, it, it actually started up in Washington state. The family moved down actually to the Bend area. Uh, so a large presence in Southern Oregon, a large presence in sub central Oregon, been growing in Portland for about 15 years. And then part of what I'm endeavoring to do is to bring this life-changing program uh, here to our community in kind of the Lane County, Willamette Valley area. Well, what I love about this too, is that, you know, cause we always hear, I think it's really easy to put a choose kindness sign in your yard and then get on the internet and be an asshole. And I see it all the time. It's much harder to actually be kind and to take it as an, and kindness is an action. You have to, exactly. you, can't just, you have to do something. It's like love. You have to do and, something. And I, I'm glad that you said action because there is a call to action that we give to students, even at the assembly. So here's how we give the call to action is that the Sparrow family is there. We, we, we introduce them. And even that moment right there, Rick, will just move you. I mean, it will bring tears to your eyes. These students are standing, they're cheering, they're shouting for their Sparrow. And then at the end, the call to action is we say, listen, like you're inspired right now through compassion. And now you have the opportunity to put your kindness to work, to put it to action. And then that initial call, I'll just simply say, hey, if you say, yep, I can give one hour, I can do one hour of service to my community, knowing that it's going to make a difference there. It's also going to make a difference in my sparrow's life, but it's going to make a difference in my life. Then on the count of three, I want you to stand to your feet. So I'll do the whole one, two, three, sparrow families there. And all of a sudden, all these students just start responding by standing. And it's again, it's that call to action to say, you're right. It's not just about wearing a shirt that says be kind or putting that th that that poster out out in the yard, but like actually putting that to work, putting our kindness to work. That is what we want to compel students to do, because that when we do that, like. What, what a difference it makes, what a positive impact it creates, not only in that service, but also in our hearts as individuals. So how do people get a hold of like you're, you're meeting with schools and business people, but if folks are, are interested in a business says, you know what, I, I want a piece of that action. Give me some information. I'll try to type it in the comments here. Sure, sure. So there's our website, which is www.sparrowclubs.org. And then for me locally, uh, they can reach me at Corey, C-O-R-Y. Hang on, buddy. Yep. It goes in here. <laughs> I had this on so many stations. It's oh, like, perfect. Yeah. It goes, it goes to like all these different places. And perfect. So th they can reach me directly at Corey, C-O-R-Y, at sparrowclubs.org. So in order to have a, a, a sparrow club, we need sparrows. We need I, I need connection with local families. I, I want to get to know families that are right here in our community that have a child in medical need. So I need sparrows. I also need connection with schools. I've been having lots of really good encouraging conversations with schools that are very interested in getting this program going next year. I actually launched the very first sparrow club ever to be in the Eugene Springfield area just a few weeks ago at Eugene Christian School. 
they were introduced to a precious little girl named Sydney, a local family here. Uh, Sydney was born with quadriplegious cerebral palsy and what a champion. And these kids got to meet her. They got to be inspired by her. Um, uh, just an incredible story. So been making great connection with schools, but I need more connection with school administrators. I need to sit down in front of them, tell about this life-changing program. And then thirdly, I need sponsors. So I need Sparrow schools and sponsors. And that's how we get to bring this, uh, powerful, um, uh, project and opportunity to 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 our local schools and neighborhoods. So please name your two sponsors you have right now because I yep. want to get that So out. right now I I I tell you what um Chambers Construction and Aztec Industries or formerly known as Johnson's Rock Crushers they are truly pioneers. I mean this is a brand new program here to our community and I had the opportunity to share with them and they just said why why would we not help champion this? Why would we not help pioneer this? And uh, I am in desperate need uh, for, for more uh, more sponsors like that. Uh, right now, I've got the potential of having 10, uh, at least 10 programs going in 10 different schools. Uh, so that means that I need uh, I need that um, those community club sponsors that just see the value in making an investment in local families, local students, and local community. Corey, what I love about that too is it's like with all we've been through, um, these are the hidden, the, oh, what am I trying to say? These are the hidden programs that are, that do the most that, I, you, you know what I mean? I am so, as a former news guy, here's all the, here, we're going to get more grant money, more of this, more of this, more of this. Here, put this program, government come in here. No, 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 no. You go in and you take this magic person, the little sparrow and their family, and you match it with these kids. You give, you empower people, not with money, but with compassion and kindness yes. and you can change the world that we live in. And it's an amazing opportunity for the community. And I, I'm afraid we need to have you on quite a bit because I'm afraid people are not going to understand that. Yeah. Um, it's, it's, well, I, I look, it's I look tough. forward, I look forward to popping back on and, and okay. introducing even a sparrow family and yeah, some yeah, schools. Yeah, yeah. And I'll tell you what, I, you, you hit the nail on the head because we like to say that we inspire and empower students through the elements of compassion, kindness, and understanding the importance of service. Um, and another layer to this, Rick, that it introduces to students is that as they're doing their community service, they have to they have to chart those hours. Here's how many hours I did. Here's the service I did. But there's another element to this that's really teaching them empathy. It's causing students to stop and think introspectively of how their actions affect others around them. But right. they, if they choose, they can write a reflection what helping my sparrow Sydney meant to me. Right. So they get to, they get to have that inward, uh, you know, uh, introspection of here's how it made a difference in my life. And then the special part about those vouchers is at the end of the year, we'll do a wrap up Here's students. Here's what you accomplished. Here's the kind of impact that had all of those vouchers, all of those testimonies, if you will, are presented to the family as a keepsake. And these families then get to read through the impact that their child's story got to have on the hearts of students. That gives me goosebumps. Yeah. And Matt Kendall, that guy's a stud. I just want to say hi to him. I love he Matt is. Kendall. He really is. <laughs> and Gail, there are opportunities to, as adults to volunteer. Matt put that up there. That's where you can go and get contacted with them yep. and find out more. Um, yeah. Corey, love what you're doing, man. I, I appreciate I, it. I, yeah. You made this, you, everybody tonight made this a really good show, really informative and interesting. And um, it's nice to end with something um, sweet like this. So um, I thank you and you will be back. I appreciate it. All right. See you, buddy. All right. So uh, again, and I need to be grateful and thank 
my sponsors, um, Buck Sanitary Service. And I was just looking on their website. They have so many new things. I mean, we always think of porta potties, you know, like that, because when you got to go, you got to go. Um, but they have washing stations and sanitizing stations. And like if you're having a wedding, they have places where you can rent these whole things where you can go and have nice bathrooms. So when you're in nice clothes, you don't have to sit on a crappy, you know, you know, you know what I mean? Um, and they have all that. And Bucks has been a sponsor from the beginning. And we love them. And uh, Scott and Lisa Weld are, are salt of the earth people. Um, they don't always agree with everything we have on here, uh, but they like the fact that we do it and we give you a voice and you get to talk. Uh, we also want to thank Chris Daniel Family Dentistry, where everybody matters. And uh, they want to make sure you get your health care taken care of. So that's what they do. Um, oh, thanks, Matt. Had a great show and we really appreciate it, guys. Hey, here's something you can do for me too. Share this on your page. Just right now, you can actually hit share. I'll wait for you. Did you know that I can tell when you don't too? I do. I'm, yeah, I'm a pretty, you know, I'm not going to say I'm, I'm God because that would be blasphemy, but I'm just saying I'm everywhere. <laughs> I'm not omnipresent, but I'm omni everywhere. But I can tell if you do it. So share this on your page so other people see the wonderful things that we just talked about on here. And that helps my clients. It helps you. Um, yeah. And um, I put an offer on a house. So we'll see what happens. You never know. You never know. All right. Tomorrow night. What's coming up tomorrow? Elements of a healthy life tomorrow night. Kim Stark has a story out of Canada. We're going to be going live to Canada on a story. I'll let her explain. It's more of a news story than a health story. Um, but it's about sex trafficking, and she's going to be in here to talk about that. And then we have an Elements member. She's 94 years old, and she goes to classes every single day. I'm not kidding you. I am not kidding you. On Wednesday, we have Rob, um, Charleston Rob, you know, Rob with Bait and Tackle. He's going to be sharing some Oregon Coast stories with us. We also have a group of business people in Springfield, Oregon, who are pissed off at the city. The city's putting a ton of roundabouts out on Main Street. Sounds really good until you find out your business is one of the ones that's going to uh, get torn down or that uh, you're, you're going to be... Uh, going through construction for a couple of years and it's going to damage your business. So we're going to have some of them come on and tell you what's going on, what's happening. And they're not happy about it. And then on Thursday, <laughs> Montana, Butte, Montana is the place for St. Patty's day celebrations. The town goes crazy. And we're going to be going live to Butte, Montana, to the organizer of the Butte, Montana Patty's Day Parade. And I, Kathy and I might even go up there. We're not sure we're going to, we're thinking about it, um, but we're going to get that on there. And so that's going to be with New Leaf Hyperbarics. Um, it's going to be sponsoring that show because, you know, Matt's a big party animal. He loves, he looks so good in green. And so we're going to be doing that on Thursday. So we got a big week ahead for you. Um, show our sponsors some love, okay? And um, I will see you tomorrow night right here, five o'clock your time, six my time. All right. Have a good